60-minute overtime with your host, Coach Danielle McCartan. You can follow her work on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome into another episode of 60 Minute Overtime, Spring 2017. This is episode 8, February 26, 2017 is the date. I'm your host, Dana McCartan. Uh, thank you to uh, everybody already on Periscope, 21 people already, two on Facebook Live. Uh, you can follow my work Twitter, at Coach McCartan. I got a couple retweets already. This is going to be a good show. I feel it already. Uh, YouTube, search for Coach Space McCartan, soundcloud.com slash Coach McCartan. On demand. Don't forget, Coach McCartan, tune in radio, 60-minute overtime, play.google.com. I'm going to search for Coach McCartan on there. And we're video simulcast right now, like I just said, on Periscope, at Coach McCartan. Get over there. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. So today's guest, we got a stock show for you today. I keep saying we. It's always me. I, I have a stock show for you guys today. First up, we're going to have uh, Tom Barton. He's a radio host for Fox Sports 1340 AM Las Vegas. You've seen him on here before. He is a, uh, a regular. He'll be calling in momentarily, and he's the owner of TomBartonSports.com, so check out his site, too. Uh, also, today's guest, uh, we're, you're going to hear, I think for the first time, uh, my interview with Pat Vendite. Uh, you might know him as the switch pitcher in the Seattle Mariners organization and the pitcher for Squadra Italia in the upcoming World Baseball Classic. Next, uh, my commentary from my interviews with Teresa Witherspoon, WNBA legend and gold medal winner. John Flaherty, who's a former MLB catcher and Yes Network analyst right now. And, of course, Stella Matanzas, the current New York Yankees pitcher and three-time All-Star. Topics for today, if anybody wants to jump on. Got something to say? Call the studio, 201-825-1234. Topics for today include some upworthy news with Jordan Sparks. I'm going to have Tom Barton on to talk about how Las Vegas could be a viable market for the MLB. Is that possible? Top storylines for the Mets and Yankees entering spring training, as according to me. What the F story of the week? Hurry up offense. We're going to talk a little bit NASCAR, MLB, NBA, NBA trade, trade deadline. And I can't forget, I would be remiss to not mention Rampo Colleges, where I'm broadcasting from right now. They had a buzzer beater in the state championship on, on uh, the other night, not last night, the night before. And also, we may have a break in the case of Tom Brady's missing jersey. So fasten your seatbelts, everybody. Here we go. Let's just get right into it. So uh, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred has said that, here's the quote, Las Vegas could be a viable market for us, us meaning the MLB, and he says legalized gambling is not an issue. We've talked about that on here before, Tom. So as the insider, as the resident, would an MLB franchise thrive in the desert? Absolutely not. <laughs> not? In any way, shape, or form. Um, look, I, I think that what we've seen is that people are not worried about gambling in Las Vegas any longer, uh, especially with baseball. Look, people don't bet on baseball I think it's the easiest sport to make money on, but but people just don't bet on baseball, right? Um, I, I say it all the time. This is a test market, and that that's what this is. If you remember years ago, and, and I know you're a lot younger than I am, uh, uh, about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, North Carolina was kind of the test market. They weren't sure if they were going to put a baseball team there. Uh, they weren't sure if they were going to put a hockey team there. Well, what were they going to do? 
And you have test markets around the country. San Antonio was the, the fun test market for a while. Now it's Las Vegas. They're going to see, Major League Baseball is getting out in front of this, and they're going to see, look, if they can sustain a hockey team and then maybe get an NFL team, maybe baseball would look there. But as of right now, it's being used as leverage. It, it, it is a leveraged city because they're willing to pull out all the stops. They're willing to make people believe, uh-oh, they're going to go get this. But they cannot draw. I've gone to 51 games, and that's the New York Mets farm system, as you know. I've gone to 51 games. I've gone to 51 championship games. I've gone on dollar beer and dollar hot dog night, and no one's there. I mean, nobody is there. It's just not sustainable, no. So, yeah, my question was going to be, now, there, I look, there are no cities in our country that both host a AAA team and an MLB team. What would the, If, in fact, this does happen... What would that mean for the future of, of the 51s? 51s would just disappear. Um, the 51s are in a really bad, bad, bad area of town. It is, uh, it's not even, you know, people talk about old Vegas and, and the downtown area. It is a bad area of town. Um, going to the stadium, just driving to the stadium, reminds me of, of the Bronx in the mid-'80s when you used to go to Yankee Stadium where – you legitimately were, were nervous to kind of stop your car. The, the homeless problem is right next door to the stadium. It's massive. Now, once you're in the stadium, it's great. They do a great job. It's fantastic. But it's in a bad area, and, and no one comes out to the games. I mean, nobody. I, I, like I said, I was there two years ago when the Mets had you know, pretty superstar talent, guys that we knew were going to be pretty superstar talented guys in the playoffs. And the place was a quarter full. It's just a bad situation. The 51s, if it happened, if somehow another baseball got there, the 51s would completely dissolve. And it would dissolve pretty immediately with nobody that upset. I mean, people just don't follow it there. Now, would you think, now, should this really happen? You know, they're looking at two teams to, to move. Let's just flush this all the way out here. The A's in Oakland, uh, you know, we have well documented their their stadium on this show with the Raiders as well. They share with the Raiders now, and, and the Rays. The Rays are experiencing all kinds of problems, all kinds of issues with their own attendance. So, if it were to happen, if we do flush this all the way out, would the A's or the Rays be the ones to bite to move? I think it's the Rays. I think that that the Rays are so far gone. Look, we know uh, as sports fans and as New York sports fans. The fans of Florida teams are some of the worst sports fans in the country, if not the worst sports fans in the country. And that's not a knock necessarily on them. They just have different things to do. The Rays are in a bad stadium situation. The Rays are in a, a, a bad division situation. The Rays are just a bad team. I mean, they're a bad franchise overall. I was hearing a lot of rumors about the Rays going to Montreal, yeah. which kind of seems entertaining. I think that might be able to work. But... Putting the Rays uh, out there against Oakland, Oakland might move. They might, uh, but I find it a little more far-fetched to say that, that they're going to move as opposed to the Rays. I think the Rays are definitely on the move. Oakland, eh, 50-50 shot. Now, what I'm thinking is, and, and hear me out here, you know, how Sheldon, Al, Al, I can never say his name, Adelson, right? Sheldon Adelson, Alderson, yeah. So how he he pulled out of the Raiders deal. Could the Raiders possibly be seeking a partner in the in an MLB team to close the gap? Maybe, but let me let me say this: He didn't necessarily pull out; he was forced out. Um, they, they 
they wanted to. The NFL basically said, "Look, we don't want to do business with his him and his kind." Right. Uh, meanwhile, by the way, the Rooney's made their their business on gambling. Uh, the Maras made a lot of money on gambling, but they they didn't want to be involved with this casino conglomerate, and and they didn't want him to be kind of the face of the franchise, and that's what he was. So they kind of forced him out. So while you go, yeah, I could understand that. I could see, hey, let's push for it. Let's try to get a baseball team in here with a football team. Las Vegas has big dreams, and, and it's, it's the town of Las Vegas, right? Everyone's got big dreams and big hopes, but the sustainability is a problem. You know, you have a major college. UNLV is a major college there. They're drawing uh, less than 5,000 people a game. Now, they're a bad team, I get it, but they, they don't draw. You have, um, you know, the, the, the 51s there. They just flat out don't draw. You look around the city and you go, can this team draw? I'm not sure. Let's wait to see. Let's wait to see what hockey does. Now, I think an NBA team would be perfect. I think an NBA team would thrive in Las Vegas. I don't know if an NFL team would. I'm pretty sure a hockey team won't. And I'm very convinced a Major League Baseball team won't. Wow. All right. So do you think, well, see, I'm, I, I, I'm a little bit, uh, different opinion-wise, I think that an NFL team would be good because it's sort of, when you think about here, people are already wondering when the Giants are going to be playing the Raiders in Las Vegas. People are already looking that up. So if, you know, based on the formula, they're expecting people to stay maybe four days or so. So, you know, I would go see the Giants play in Las Vegas. I would go see the Jets play in Las Vegas. So, you know, I think since it's like eight games, it's a short season, I think that would be more sustainable than a baseball team with 82 games there. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I, I get the, the argument, and I've heard it from both sides. I've heard it from pretty prominent people on both sides. I understand the argument of, yeah, it's only eight games. But the problem is this. The problem is building a fan base. The Las Vegas resident already has their team, right? They're transients. They already have their team. So most people aren't going to give up the game and, and go there. Look, in my business, and, and I've been dealing with TomBartonSports.com for a long time. I've been a sports reporter for a long time. I say it all the time. People go, oh, how many games do you go to? I go to zero NFL games. You know why? Because it's better to watch it at home. And you know where the second best place to watch it is? In a casino with every game up on the TV or a sports bar. And that's what you're competing with if you're Las Vegas. I mean, if you're, uh, let's just say, a giant fan and you move out to Vegas, you're not going to become an Oakland uh, Raider or slash Las Vegas Raider fan. You might want to go to a game here or there, but you're not going to go sustain that kind of entertainment because you're going to want to watch your team. And where's a better place to watch your team? Go to the casino, go to the sports book, and watch in the lap of luxury on reclining leather chairs with, with a, a beautiful waitress bringing you free drinks. This is what Las Vegas is. It is not... Um, something that's going to draw people to the stadium. What's the draw? What's the draw to, to cut, take them out of the casino and put them into the stadium away from their team and try to convert them? If you are a Las Vegas Raider, uh, you know, the person that's working behind the scenes, how are you going to get guys to switch their teams? It's tough. It's a tough draw in a transient city. So I just had someone say that 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 man, meaning you, speaks from the bottom of his heart. He's very passionate about this. <laughs> someone just said that on Periscope. Uh, so, you know, the last I heard, the Raiders moved to Vegas. Sheldon pulls out, or like you said, he was forced out. Now they're, they're you know, other sponsors are threatening. And, and what's what's the latest on this? I haven't really heard anything coming out of this. I never believed uh, that it was going to get done. 
And then they sucked me in for a little while, you know, for a little while. And they pulled me in and I said, oh, my God, is it, can, can this be real? Is this, is this real, you know? And, and then, I mean, immediately it evaporated. I think that this almost a 0% chance. I will say this. I've said all along, when, when the news started breaking, I said, I believe that there will be an NFL team in Las Vegas in the next 10 years. But that doesn't mean in the next two years. I don't think that the Raiders are the team to go. I, I think it's going to be a smaller team, a Jacksonville maybe, a San Diego maybe, eventually a San Diego, L.A. Chargers, whatever they are now. I don't believe the Raiders are going to go. Um, it seemed too easy for it for Las Vegas to be used as that jumping-off city. I don't think that this gets done. I just don't. There's too much to be done. You know, when you look at, at the scope of things and you start to hear the rumors, you then rush away the rumors and you say, okay, what do we have that's tangible? There is no stadium. Is there land for a stadium? Sure. Can they build a new stadium? Sure. But there's no existing stadium right now. That's a problem, right? When you build a brand new stadium, you build that stadium in anticipation to have big events, to have college football championships, to have the Super Bowl. The NFL is not allowing the Super Bowl to come to Vegas. The NFL, the NCAA is not allowing college kids to play a championship in Vegas. So there's no stadium. There's no long-term goal. It seemed like a rush-together push to try to get the team uh, in Oakland this Oakland team to kind of try to try to push them, try to force people and try to force it down their throat. I didn't think it was going to happen, and I don't think it's going to happen. Now, I do believe a team will be playing in Vegas very short uh, within the next decade or so. But I certainly don't believe it's going to be this Oakland team in the next couple of years like we've been hearing. Huh, so, all right, so let's let's switch now to the Golden Knights. They just hosted a uh, 24-hour open facility or whatever it was called. Now, what do you think, how do you think hockey is going to be there? Was it well attended? I mean, what, what is the buzz around the Golden Knights team over there? I, I think it's going to crash and burn badly. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. First of all, um, you know, I'm very good friends with and, and, and pretty in uh, with guys that are, are right at the forefront. I mean, they had Twitter pages and, and pages of the hockey team before it was announced there was going to be a hockey team. Uh, the, the, one of my co-hosts on, on Fox Sports out in Vegas is he did the Wranglers, which is a minor league hockey team. He did them, uh, the play-by-play for them for about four or five years. They couldn't draw. Now it's minor league hockey. I get it. Hockey is a fickle, fickle team. And what, what I say about the hockey season and, and, and about hockey in general, it's hard to get them away from the big cities anyway. Right? And Tampa Bay is a good team. They can't fill a stadium. The Carolina Hurricanes are a good team. They can't fill a stadium. Um, you know, you look at, at the big six, of course, they're going to draw. But outside of that, hockey's a tough draw anyway. And you have to ask yourself, if you're a Las Vegas resident on a Saturday night, if you have an MMA fight, you have a boxing fa- match, and then you have the, the Golden Knights, where are you going? You're not going to a Knights game. They'll, they'll have a good two- or three-season run where all the bigwigs in Las Vegas want to be seen. It'll look like Madison Square Garden where you pan the crowd and you see celebrity and millionaire and whale and this and that. And in about three years, it'll kind of dissolve. It won't be as fun. They'll have a hard time filling the seats. The casinos themselves will have to buy the tickets and give them away. And they'll be in a situation in about five or six years where we're going to have to make a decision. 
is it worth getting rid of this team? I, I don't believe that it's a sustainable enterprise in Las Vegas uh, the way that they're doing it. Like I said, the NBA is a little bit different, okay? Hockey is not. Hockey in the desert, in the West Coast, is a problem already. And now hockey in the, on the West Coast, in the desert, in a gambling town where people don't gamble on, on hockey, it's even worse. I, I don't think this is going to be a fun experiment. And now, finally, we'll wrap up here. Basketball. Why are you so gung-ho on, on a basketball team thriving in that situation? With basketball, it's about a player, right? The Las Vegas is going to promote that player more than anything else. I mean, there's billboards, there's casinos. You're going to be able to have a superstar celebrity. You're going to have that guy. Uh, in Las Vegas, they make celebrities out of guys that, that we don't know outside of the strip. Right, the, the rest of the country does. They don't know who Danny Gans is, but he's everywhere in Las Vegas. You know, you make celebrities all over the place. Um, walk down down uh, to the old Vegas. You see Mike Hammer, the magician, everywhere. Nobody knows Mike Hammer's name um, outside of Las Vegas. He's not that transient guy, but in Vegas, he's a big deal. They can do that with a basketball player. One player on a basketball team, you promote. He's the superstar. You're not going to do that with hockey. You can't promote one player. They don't pr promote their best players. It's just not there. With basketball, you could promote the one player. The UNLV program, as bad as it is now, and it, it's as bad as I've ever seen, as bad as the UNLV program is now, they've had success, right? They've won a national championship. They've gotten there. They, they've, they've had a history of, of being a basketball town. I think the NBA would do very well there. The NBA All-Star Game has been there. Festivities, now it didn't go well, but they've been there. I think the NBA would work. That is a good franchise. That's a, a good sports franchise to aim for. You could get the NFL. I think baseball and hockey would fail. I mean, I'm sorry, baseball. Yeah, baseball would fail. Hockey will fail. No, I just had a question come through on Periscope. Someone just said, uh, how is West Coast hockey a problem? The Sharks were in the playoffs last season. Doesn't, but, 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 again, you're asking, and I, I've heard this. The Sharks were in the playoffs. I don't care how good you are on the court, how many people are coming in. How many people are coming in when you're not in the playoffs? How many people are coming in to watch the gold, you know, the, the, this, this awful Golden Knights team when they're not a playoff team, when they're a bad team? It's not how good you are. It's how you fill the seats when you're mediocre or bad. The Carolina Hurricanes have been a perennial team. I lived in Raleigh, North Carolina. They were a perennial playoff team. For years they were good couldn't fill the stadium once they weren't that, that playoff team. Tampa Bay Lightning have won championships. They have a problem putting butts in the seats, right? They, it's not a matter of how good you are. It's a matter of who's coming out to watch you. West Coast hockey has a problem drawing people. Phoenix have, uh, has had massive problems drawing people. Anaheim has had massive problems drawing people. San Jose can't draw people. Uh, it's, uh, it's the West Coast vibe. Too many good things to do. What are you going to do? Are you going to sit by the pool today, enjoy the sun, or go inside, fight the traffic on the strip to go watch a hockey game between a team you know that isn't going to make the playoffs and another team that's not going to make the playoffs? You're not going to get it done. So there's some people on Periscope now that are blaming St. Petersburg, the area. You know, hockey games start at 7 p.m. That's uh, past the bedtime of all the the people that live there. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. The Florida sports fan, the worst sports fan on earth. I mean, it really is. They, they are they are bad, bad sports fans, and and it is. It's kind of tongue in cheek, but but that's kind of funny. But you have to remember, you're going 
If you're going to put a team in Las Vegas, we can talk about gambling all we want and say it doesn't exist, it's not that. If you're putting a team in Las Vegas, you have to count on half of the stadium going to that game because they have action on the game, right? Look, I run TomBartonSports.com. If I'm going out there, I'm going to go to a game if I got action on the game, right? There are guys that I'll go with that'll go, hey, you know what, I'm going to go to the game tonight, I'll throw 20 bucks on the game. Hockey's not a bettable sport. People aren't betting on hockey. They're just not, it's not that kind of action. In basketball, you can throw it on there and root for the team. You can do those things. It's going to be a hard draw. And I think that we're going to be, me and you will be sitting here in five years from now having a conversation of should Las Vegas uh, dissolve the franchise. Wow. And I just have one final comment here that um, someone asked, how does he know that the Knights are going to be bad? They don't even have a roster yet. Well, that, that's how you look at these bad, <laughs> right? I, I mean, you know, you can, you can look at the history of expansion teams uh, in the history of, of all sports, and you'll pluck out the occasional Jacksonville Jaguar early on with Tom Coughlin. You'll, you'll pick out the occasional team. But overall, expansion teams don't do well early on. Uh, expansion teams are, are exactly that. They're an expansion team. And for the first couple of years, you can deal with them not being a great team. Uh, but you're going to need elite management. You're going to need elite coaches and elite players to have people really pay attention. Um, I'll give you a look. You know, from New York myself, the Islanders were a, a bad franchise for a long time. And they had history. They had commitment. They had good leadership at the top. It's very hard to be a sustainable, good team. And I'm not saying that they're going to be the worst team, but uh, what I'm, I'm telling you is that if you put a good team on the ice, they'll draw. If you put a bad team on the ice, they're not going to draw. And I don't want to hear the excuse that that will happen anywhere. No, it won't happen anywhere. People in Boston, people in New York, people in Philadelphia, people in Toronto, Detroit, Chicago, you put a bad team on, on the ice, they're still going to draw a little bit. People in Las Vegas, I've seen it. I've seen it with UNLV. When UNLV's good, the stadium's packed. When UNL, when UNLV's bad, they're drawing 2,500, 3,000 people. When UNLV's mediocre, they're not drawing. You know, So that's the difference. The hockey team would have to be really good for this to be a sustainable product. All right. Well, Tom, that, that was like so much information so fast. I'm so happy you came on to, to straighten any of that out for all of us and, and people on Periscope and people on, on Facebook Live. So uh, thank you for coming on. Where can people in my listenership now that they're very interested in you find your work? Uh, like I said, I'm a sports handicapper, but I'm a radio host first. I'm hitting 67% college basketball this year, and that's all backed up with stats. That's at TomBartonSports.com. Want to have a little fun? Just follow me over on Twitter. It's Tom Barton Sports, and uh, I always link everything up. I have uh, shows in Las Vegas. I work for Fox Sports in Las Vegas. I'm also on CBS Sports in Las Vegas, and I have a national show as well. You can go go to uh, TomBartonSports.com or Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter and check it out and, and link up with me. Let's have a little fun. Throw a, uh, follow me, tweet, retweet me, do all, all the fun things that the kids are doing. <laughs> this was uh, very insightful. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks a lot. All right. You too. Talk to you soon. All right. Well, he was great. Yeah, Tom Barton. That's it. T-O-M-B-A-R-T-O-N. Yep. All right. So that was, um, I mean, we, t- we talked about all the major sports over there in Las Vegas. So, you know, 
He seems to think that baseball will not work. I'm kind of in agreement with that, but I do think football would work there. I do. Uh, basketball, I think, is a good idea, too. He's right. The basketball does market one of their stars. I mean, what's his name? Uh, LeBron James to the Cavaliers. You know, like, they market one player. Hockey is not like that. He's right. Hockey is not like that. But how do we know that the Vegas Golden Knights are not going to be good yet because we don't know, even know, like someone said, that we don't even know what their... Uh, what their roster looks like. So that was a great talk. Good talk. Good talk. Thanks, Tom, for coming on. Okay, so the upworthy news of today. Did uh, did anyone catch Jordan Sparks hosting the, I guess it was the latest hour, the fourth hour, whatever it is, of the Today Show this week? Well, there was a part where she got to go outside and give out a, a different prize each day to someone standing in the plaza. And on Thursday I was watching, and she picked a guy wearing a Giants hat. She walked over and handed him, or gave him a coupon, whatever, for a 55-inch TV, free. So I tweeted her, I said, uh, that's a good look, Jordan Sparks, for, you know, going in and giving a Giants fan the TV, and she, she answered me. <laughs> and all of, all of uh, her 4.3 million followers saw it too, so she re responded to me, she replied, and she said, quote, always got to take care of the loyal G-Man fans, hashtag father's pride. And as you know or may not know, that her father played seven seasons for the New York Giants. And by the way, what's it? It's 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Jordan Sparks is going to be singing the national anthem for the Daytona 500 today. So I thought that was kind of cool. This is Noah Syndergaard, pitcher for the New York Mets. You're listening to 60-Minute Overtime on WRPR. So let's talk Mets baseball for the first time in a long time. Yeah, that's what I think. The boys are back in town for the Mets. I mean, they have the best starting pitching staff in the MLB. I mean, the MLB.com projected that for 2017, they looked at four-seam fastball velocity for each team. The Mets are in first place. I think it's 94.8 miles an hour average fastball speed for the New York Mets. So the New York Mets pitching staff is it projected to be the best in the MLB. Why do I say uh, boys are back in town? Well, the key to success for the Mets is going to be, you guessed it, health. Health for the Mets. And, and by the way, the Yankees and the Pirates are both tied for second place uh, in terms of uh, average velocity projected for, for this year. In, in terms of everybody staying healthy, you know, the Yankees and the Pirates are tied at 94.2 miles an hour. But let's talk about Mets. Let's do Mets. The key to success for the Mets is staying healthy. We all know that. Know that. Listen, the Mets were bit by the injury bug last season. Here, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how often and how hard. You ready? Uh, Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey, the Dark Knight. Thoracic outlet syndrome. He was out uh, on, on July 5th. Steven Matz, shoulder injury. Elbow bone spur. August 15th. Jacob deGrom, the degrominator. Forearm. Out. September 21st. Noah Syndergaard. Elbow bone spur. Uh, June 27th. Zach Wheeler even. Delayed recovery from a Tommy John surgery. September 3rd. David Wright, we all know. Herniated disc. Obviously, he's not a pitcher, but he's a big part of that team. Herniated disc surgery on his neck. Out for the season back on May 27th of last year. So the Mets are, are really, or had been really bit by the injury bug last season. However, they made it deep into the playoffs. They made it pretty far, 
based on the other pieces of their, their puzzle. So I think the Mets are going to have a deep run this season. Uh, listen, guys, it's going to be unrealistic to expect David Wright to, to even play in half the games this season, right? So if you can get, as a Met fan, if, as, a, as an owner, as a manager, if you can get maybe 70 quality games out of him, quality starts, quality games, it's going to be beneficial. Uh, hopefully the Mets are going to win the World Series and he can retire on top. He does deserve it. He is the captain of the Mets. He does a great job with them. But you can't expect him to play every day. And you have to expect that when he is in, you have to use him sparingly. 70 games. I mean, there's 180 games, 162 games season plus playoffs. But you're talking 180 games. This guy, he's not going to be able to go out and give you 180 games, 162 games even in the regular season. You have to, you have to expect him to give maybe 70, 60, and on, and that way, he's going to be able to contribute to the team in a positive way. Now, if anybody has seen it, Mets fans, you might want to be a little bit worried because uh, there's a report out from a very reputable source that Noah Syndergaard is at risk for serious injury this season. I'll tell you why. Uh, one of baseball's leading pitching gurus believes that Noah Syndergaard is likely to be injured by mid-summer. That's a problem. And I, he, the reasoning is because Syndergaard is at risk for injury by having added 17 pounds of muscle without pitching this winter. He, he added the muscle. He didn't continue with the motion, the rotation of his shoulder and everything, and people are, are trying to think that, that he's, he, he might get hurt for that reason, by putting on so much weight and not being so mobile and so flexible and having the rotation in his shoulder. So Syndergaard did say that. He said, my arm is loose, my flexibility is good, I'm not worried. We'll see about that. We'll see, because a lot of people seem to think that this guy knows what he's talking about. So either, what is, what is the solution here? You lose the 17 pounds of muscle? I don't know about that. Or you just improve your flexibility and stretching and, and just be really, really mindful of that. I think that's the way so Syndergaard's going to go in the beginning, and, and we'll see what happens. But that's a, that's a little bit of a cause for concern, I would think, for Mets Nation. But like I said, if, if the Mets can stay healthy, especially in their starting pitching rotation, which is the best in the MLB, they're going to be good. Mets are going to be good. Batanz is pitching for the New York Yankees, and you're listening to Danny McCartan on 60 Minutes Overtime. Because we started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team here. Started from the bottom, now we're here. The New York Yankees, as you know, the Baby Bombers are where it's at for the New York Yankees. They have a youth movement and flexibility in their lineup for the first time in a very, very long time. We're talking maybe 1996, 1995, which is over 20 years ago. <laughs> Listen, A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez, and Mark Teixeira were the last of the Mohegans to go. We have flexibility at, at these positions. We have, uh, you know, Joe Girardi is going to have a great time managing these guys this year. There's so much talent in so many different areas, and offensively and defensively, that at first glance, a fan, you might not recognize any of the names on the Yankees opening day roster, but you will. They're going to have names like Aaron Judge, Tyler Austin, Greg Bird, Glabar Torres, Gary Sanchez, Clint Frazier. Who are these guys? Who are they? They're the start of the next Yankee dynasty, and you better believe it. These guys are hungry. They're, they're being mentored right now in Florida by Derek Jeter's taking them out to dinner. Alex Rodriguez is taking them out to dinner. Alex Rodriguez is even coaching 
down there. He's coaching for a little while at least. So this leadership, th these young guys are coming up. They're growing up under the watchful eye and, and under the watchful hand of guys like Derek Jeter, guys like Alex Rodriguez, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I talked to John Flaherty, former catcher and, and Yes Network analyst. He'll be at spring training on March 1st, which is like this week he'll be there. I think it's Wednesday. So here's what he told me that he's going to be looking for down in Tampa. An analyst here. What are you going to be most looking forward to this spring with the young guys coming up? Yeah. Who maybe in particular? Well, obviously it's all about the young guys now. I mean, I'm looking forward to uh, Judge in right field to see if he's going to get a little bit better. Uh, I, he's such a hard worker and a great kid. I find myself pulling for him. Greg Bird, what's he going to look like after missing a whole year? Uh, he could be special, and, and he also could be a guy that's going to take some time to get his feet underneath him again. And then I think for myself, Gary Sanchez is the one I'm going to be paying most attention to in spring training. Um, not for what he did last year, but for how he's handled himself this offseason. Uh, we know that he's been all over the place signing autographs. He's getting all this attention, and rightfully so. As a young player, that's a lot to handle. So I want to see if he's in shape. I want to see if he's working when I get down to Tampa. I'll be down there March 1st. Um, because I think it's very easy for him to take a step backwards, and I hope that doesn't happen. Now, Clint Frazier, speaking of working out, he's been working out. Yeah. That looks like a beast. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think about Clint Frazier? <laughs> well, oh, the hair even. Yeah, the hair. The, you know, the, the thing, it's such a different generation. Um, I'm going to say your generation, right? The, the social media and, and being able to get your opinion out there. And Clint has been very vocal and very out, out in front. My personality was always, let's lay back a little bit and let my play dictate what everybody thinks of me. Um, Clint's got to go to AAA and dominate, and Clint, if he gets his opportunity, should let his play be what everybody thinks about, not his social media presence. Um, that's my first impression. I've never met the man. I'm looking forward to seeing him in spring training. I hear he's incredibly talented, but as, a, as you put my analyst hat on, but I'm also going to go as a veteran player now. Veteran players don't like young guys who are out in your face. Listen, pay attention, and speak when you're spoken to and go out there and play hard. So I think he maybe needs a little old school lesson. Oh, that's some fire from John Flaherty. Who's going to teach him the old school lesson? Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens down there in Tampa. Now, here's another piece of the puzzle. Yanks not good as the Mets. Lots more development needed. Yes, of course. That's what we were just talking about. Now, listen, you can't forget about young pitcher Dylan Tantis, who's been fine-tuning his game this offseason as well, as he told me. Now, He's probably going to be playing with a chip on his shoulder as well after that arbitration hearing. You would have to think because, you know, as you know, we talked about, I think it was last week, he was looking to get $5 million salary. The Yankees gave him $3 million. He's got to be a little irked by that. And this is a, an interview I did with him before the, uh, the arbitration hearing. But here's what he had to say about fine-tuning his game in the offseason. Moving into the 2017 season, you know, you got a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. 84-mile-hour slurve, 2.16 ERA in your career. What will you be zeroing in on improving this, this spring training? Uh, for me, it's just, you know, keeping my consistency throughout the year. Uh, you know, um, working on, 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 on lowering my wall totals. Uh, I did last year, but hopefully I can get that down a little bit this year. And just working on the small aspects of the game, uh, you know, being able to hold runners better you know, defense part. Now, does it does it hinder you that you're you're a, a big guy moving towards home plate? 
little bit in, in the pickoff move? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's something that I never really worked on as much, but I feel like, uh, you know, I, I, they've taken advantage of that part of my game, so I feel like that's something that i got to work on, and I've been working on this all season. So having Chapman back? It's fun. You know, yeah. I, that guy's a work uh, workhorse. Uh, you know, I love seeing him pitch, and it's going to be nice uh, handing him the ball at the end of the games. And uh, hype leading into this season. Who are you most, which prospect are you most excited to, to work with? Uh, for me, uh, I want to see, you know, obviously Clint Frazier. Uh, heard a lot of good things about him. And Gleyber Torres, I mean, uh, you know, what he did in the fall league was pretty impressive. Me playing there, you know, obviously what, what he did at, at that age, I think. It's going to be fun to watch them. So that was myself and uh, Dylan Batanzas. If you want to catch the whole interview, you can go check out my YouTube page. Just go in the search box all the way up in the top and type in Coach Space M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on that. The Mets and Yankees are going to have a good season this year, and people should be excited about the Mets and Yankees in New York baseball this year, and, and especially especially the Yankees. The Mets are in a win-now mode. We know that. That's well-documented. But the Yankees are in a developmental mode, so we have to see that... One, how fast could they develop? And two, even while they are developing, how good can they possibly be? And and listen, I'm never going to forget being at that game when, when Aaron Judge and, and Tyler Austin hit back-to-back -back home runs. It happened just to be in, in the, the game where they were the Yankees were honoring the 1996 World Series team. And you just couldn't help the feeling that a new dynasty was being started with the old dynasty looking on. You just couldn't help it. It creeped into the back of, I think, everybody's minds in that entire stadium. And to wrap up baseball, let's talk. Um, this is my interview. It's short. It's only four, four minutes and 40 seconds. My interview with Seattle Mariners uh, pitcher. He's a switch pitcher. He pitches. That means he pitches with both his left and his right hand, which is kind of cool. Uh, we talked about what kind of glove he would need for, for that sort of situation. He's going to be pitching uh, for Squadra Italia coming up in the World Baseball Classic. So this is myself, Danielle McCartan. And uh, pitcher Pat Vendite. Okay, I'm Daniel McCartan here with Pat Vendite at the Italian American uh, family launch party. This is like an awesome event. You know, we're just about to get started here, but let's just talk briefly about what is the significance or importance of this event. Yeah, this is uh, it's it's an honor to be a part of this tonight, and it's I wasn't really uh, you know, I wasn't aware of what to expect, but you know to see this turnout tonight, it, it's a special night. Now you're gonna be playing for Team Italy, so what are your expectations for this season? You know, uh, upcoming. Uh, in March here, we're going to try to uh, outdo what we did a few years back. You know, we got to the second round, and uh, we're going to have uh, the guys to, to go a little bit further this time around, and I know the guys are all hungry. Just, you know, seeing Drew and Chris, uh, everybody's excited and ready to get to work. Is this your first games? No, I, I was with uh, Italy in 2013 in the World okay. Classic, and then in the European Challenge as well in 2014, so this will be my third tournament. Now, what are your personal goals for this coming tournament? You know, just to uh, get as far as we possibly can. It'd be, it'd be really nice to get to those finals this year. And, you know, it's a, a couple steps further than we've been before, but, uh, you know, it, it's about time that we make that jump. Now, your option by the Mariners, you know, going forward for the 2017 season, what do you expect? What are you thinking? You know, it's going to be a battle just like my first eight in professional baseball. Yeah. I'll have to earn everything I get. But, uh, as always, going to camp, make a good impression until it's time to go play for Italy. Go take us as far as we can and uh, see whatever comes of the season. Now you're the first uh, or the only switch pitcher in modern. I mean that's that's really cool. So how, how does how do you start doing that? 
My dad started with me when I was three years old. Uh, I'm a natural right-hander. It was just an idea that he had, and uh, it's kind of stuck ever since. Now, how do you get fitted for an ambidextrous glove? I mean, what's the process for that? I was seven years old, and if you can believe it, my dad, all he did was he traced my hand and faxed it to the uh, Mizuno company in Osaka, Japan, and two months later I had my first glove. So it, it was as simple as that, I guess. <laughs> cool. So, um, you know, do you... I always thought about this. Uh, you know, do you have a different arsenal of pitches based on what arm you're throwing with? Yeah, you know, I do have different stuff. From the right side, I throw a little bit harder. And, uh, from the left side, I feature, you know, predominantly off-speed, especially sliders. Uh, and, you know, to have that matchup advantage really helps me and allows for that slider to be more effective from the left side, even though I don't have a whole lot of velocity. Now, how do you decide which side you're going to pitch from? That's all predicated on the batter. The okay. only time that becomes an issue is the switch hitter. Okay. So if it's a lefty, I'm obviously going left-handed, righty-righty. And then with the switch hitter, it depends on their splits. Now, you have a... Uh a rule named after you, the Pat Vendite rule. I remember watching that game on TV now. It was like, switch, 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 switch. How does it feel to have a rule named after you? You know, I get asked that a lot. And honestly, I, I don't really care about that aspect. You know, it was my goal to get to the major leagues, and yeah. that was all I truly cared about. Maybe down the line that'll be something that I look back on. Down in history. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> all right, so, Parli Italiano. Nah, non paro. You're going to learn. You're going to learn. I, I better. I've been saying I'm going to learn for a few years now, but I really do have to start to pick it up. Uh, have you ever been there to visit? Yes, to visit when I was seven and then to play in that European Cup in 2014. We got to train there in Castelfranco, played a few games in Verona and a couple other places. It was quite the experience. Okay, now before I let you go, before this get started here, uh, you're going to have your choice of Italian karaoke, an Italian baseball lesson, you know, terms, and uh, let's a speed round. Karaoke for sure. Karaoke. All right, you're the second one. Like a bigger pizza pie, that's amore. Oh, that was good. Can you keep going? Bells will ring, ting a ling a ling. Ah, All right, you're a good sport. That was awesome. All right, I'm Daniel McCartney here at Pat Vendite, and uh, good luck in the, the tournament, and have fun tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was at the uh, Mint Pros launch party in, in, in conjunction with Phoebes. There are a lot of people on Periscope impressed with the fact that I made him sing. Uh, yes, that's that's uh, something I do often with, with my subjects of my interviews. You can check them out. I had uh, Jonathan Hankins singing. Uh, who else? I don't even know. Uh, Sparky Lyle, I had him singing. He was my first guest on Athlete Karaoke. Mike Riley singing Carrie Underwood. So go, go check it out. It's on YouTube. Type in Coach Space M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. The NBA trade deadline uh, came and went without any sort of action at all. There were lots of rumors, but no action. Carmelo and Derrick Rose are still on the Knicks. I don't know why they would want to stay with the Knicks. Uh, they had a whole article based on why would Carmelo want to stay here at ProSportsRundown.com. And Derrick Rose has since come out saying that he still wants to stay here too for a long time. I don't know why. I don't know why. 
uh, please. But let's let's recap some of the bigger moves around the NBA. Um, the first big move was that the Thunder made a trade with the Bulls, and uh, in, in the Thunder get Taj Gibson, Doug McDermott, and a 2018 second-round draft pick. And the Bulls are going to get, or have already gotten, Anthony Morrow, Cameron Payne, and Jeffrey Lavarn. This trade helps OKC add more pieces around Russell Westbrook. They're, they're going to look to make a late-season uh, playoff push. However, it's a head-scratcher full of Bulls because Payne, this guy Payne, is now the fifth guard on their roster behind Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo, which were two you know, superstars, uh, household names at least. So... The Bulls now have five guards on their roster and no clear path, whereas I think OKC got the better end of this trade because, you know, they're putting pieces around Russell Westbrook. As Tom Barton was saying, basketball is about one guy. So if you can put nice pieces around one guy, well, then that's going to help your team. And then the second of two best uh, teams we got here, we have the 76ers trade with the Mavericks, and the 76ers are going to get Andrew Bogut, Justin Anderson, and a 2018 first-round draft pick. Um, in, the MLB, in the NBA, they do it a little bit different. It's a lottery. It's not, you know, in order. It's just basically they put, like, like picture the New Jersey lottery. That is how they pick their teams in the order of, of the picks for the draft. So um, the, the 76ers get those three guys, uh, and the Mavericks are going to receive Nerlens Noel, which is, I think, good for both teams because the Mavs get the player they wanted for a while. And this also clears up Philadelphia's problem of having too many big men on their roster. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, is this Randy Zelia? Yeah, the hey, one only. Hey, Randy. So Randy is uh, the resident basketball dude. So as I mentioned, this was a, a lot of rumors with this NBA tra trade deadline, but not a lot of action. What are your takeaways from it? Well, I've spoken to quite a few people around the league. Um, like my, see, this, the, now the days for me of, how much news is going to break and how much I want to give coverage to is to see how much truth and how much of it is rumor and how much you buy into it. I found out about Carmelo Anthony not moving around Saturday of last week. So I said that takes away a lot of the fun because he, you know, that was the biggest fish to fry out there. And then you, you know, you, you get people from all-star weekend letting me know that yeah, they're talking about Paul George and Jimmy Butler and this guy and that guy. And, you're like, okay, well, this could be interesting. And then you go into the last two or three days finding out saying how serious are they and how serious is it just speculation and how is it the teams are just feeding the media stories while they're working on some other deals. And that's what a lot of the trade deadline is. It's a lot of teams feeding certain sources certain things so they can talk about something big when there's no real, real story there. Like Paul George, they call teams – out and they said, so what would you value Paul George at to see what they can get? And if it's something that's blown away, like Paul George, I understand Denver almost mortgaged half their team to try and get Paul George. That's the value of Paul George. But you're finding out for Carmelo Anthony that the market value wasn't that high. For DeMarcus Cousins, it wasn't that high. So out of everything that was offered to the Sacramento Kings, that was the best deal up until that point. They didn't want to commit to $200 million to DeMarcus Cousins. That's why they made that deal. So the deals that were made were, were pretty decent deals. I do think uh, both Philadelphia and Dallas won. It's hard to make a trade in the NBA where you see the both teams actually win inside the trade. But that was definitely a trade that definitely uh, won. It's, it's just to see where Andrew Bogut ends up now that, he, that he's been released. And um, you know, so, and some of the other moves that were made after Dallas waving Darren Williams. Darren Williams is committed to signing with the Cleveland Cavaliers, which would be really interesting now. <laughs> 
to see um, to see how that pans out. So to answer your question, Danielle, um, it didn't the trade line didn't disappoint me. It's because if you go in with the expectation of nine out of ten times, it's more speculation than actual deals, then you you don't get as disappointed. <laughs> That's sort of the pessimistic view here. So you know, this is it. This is the last time that they can make modifications to the roster, if you will, major modifications. Who is uh, now the front runner to win the NBA championship? We t- are we talking uh, Warriors, Cavs again? Yeah, we're still talking Warriors and Cavs. Um, I, I think that the team that could have, you know, joined the conversation was the Boston Celtics if they would have made a deal. Um, they own the new the Brooklyn the Brooklyn Nets, who is the worst team in the NBA. They don't have a, their draft pick this year, so their draft pick belongs to the Boston Celtics. So. Boston could have made a really big move and traded that number one pick for a Paul George, for Jimmy Butler, and they could have taken to the next level, but they, they decided to hold on to the pick to see what they can get in the future, which is not a bad decision. If it's the number one pick, how, if you're the Celtics, how would you like to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, fall short against the Cavs, and then go into the, lo- go into the lottery and end up with the number one pick in the draft? You know, that's, a great, that's a great problem to have. So... You know, I think that um, I think there's there's a couple teams out there that can fight against Golden State and uh, Cleveland, but I still think it's a two team or two team race. But I, I still think it's I still think Cleveland's going to beat the uh, Warriors in seven games this year. Oh my God! See, there's no there's no parity in this league for me. I mean, it's always the same teams, and I don't know. It just for me it turns me off in watching it. But that's but that's with a lot of things. Like I hate to say it, with baseball, even though it's a 162 game season, 164 game season, yeah, 164. Uh, you know the number. <laughs> you know, you know who a lot of the teams are who are going to be competing. Who are the teams you have to keep an eye on? Who might be able to? Uh, who, you know, who the good teams are and who the teams who by surprise you are. Like the Yankees are a question mark this year because you have to see what they are. You don't know what they are yet, but you know that. Cleveland and Chicago Cubs and um, you know the Mets are going to be competing and you know who the teams are who could be competing for the playoffs and who are not you know what I mean so it's just, there's parity in every sport you know in football Cleveland is not going to be good you know that the Rams are still a growing situation you know that the Chargers are going to be in a new city so there's not a lot of expectation level in there so you know even though the Jets are not going to be good you know the Giants are competing for a Super Bowl so you know it's you know who the teams are who are supposed to be there, and, who, and then there's more surprise when they don't live up to that expectation level, when they do play over that expectation level. So, Now, I, I don't know if you had heard, I, t- I had Tom Barton on from Las Vegas. Now, he seems to think that a basketball team would be the end-all, be-all. Uh, you know, they, they would really thrive over there in Las Vegas because they can market one guy. They can market... You know, on the like you said, on the billboards and everything. You know, LeBron James is playing in Las Vegas, so things like that. Do you think that a basketball team would be a good fit for Vegas? Um, I look at it two ways. I look at it as from from a business standpoint, just strictly from a business making money. Um, I, I I say I'm fifty fifty on it, just because you have to. I wonder if there's a big enough fan base for a team to build. In, La, in, in Las Vegas, because you know it's, a lot of it's tourists, so it's hard when you have a, a city that's full of tourists to build a, a steady fan base out there. Um, so that's that's p- part of my biggest fear. I do think it, you know if there's a, if there's enough 
people who buy into it, if it's not as expensive and people buy into it, yeah, I think it'd be great. From a, from a different perspective, I think it's a sports league worst nightmare about the amount of trouble you can get in being out there. Well, you can get in a lot of trouble in Miami, New York. You can get, if you want to find trouble, you can, you would. You see how much, you see how much you get in trouble from being out in those cities. Look, Eddie Curry, I, I saw firsthand that when Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler entered the NBA at the age of 19, where Tyson Chandler had the right people around him and told him, don't spend your money, don't go out and go crazy. And then there's Eddie Curry who ended up filing for bankruptcy and ended up having a family member die of a, of a, of a bad drug deal. Because... <laughs> Because of all those different things that went on, so, so you see, being in the big city and all those other things, the bad, the bad situations that can happen. Being in, you know, in a, in a big city and having a player there—that's why they moved uh, Curry to Chicago, uh, from Chicago to New York. I mean, so you know, and that's why the NBA started putting all these different things in place for these younger players. But Trump, like you just said, trouble could follow you anywhere in this in, in, the, in this world of sports. Doesn't matter if it's Vegas, Chicago, Miami, New York, anywhere. So. I think I think overall, I think from a business standpoint, it's a 50-50 just because I don't know if they would have um, a designated fan base since Vegas is mostly a, um, you know, a, you know, a tourist tourist vacation place. I don't know if a basketball team would, would do it there on a consistent basis. Same thing with a football team. All right, Randy. Well, uh, thanks for offering your your NBA perspective on here. Thank you. No problem, Daniel. Thanks for having me. All right, no problem. Thanks. Well, that's how the NBA goes. That, that's that's it for NBA talk. So from from let's talk from the pros to college basketball. Here we go, Rample College, where we are broadcasting. I am broadcasting from right now. My alma mater, Rample College, is facing Jersey New Jersey City University in the title game of the New Jersey Athletic Conference tournament Friday night, which is the NJACs, as we know around these parts. And uh, how this worked was that. Jersey City University hit a free throw to tie the game with 3.1 seconds left. They tied it up at, I believe it was 64. And then, Brownville College inbounds the ball. Right? Here, I'll play it. I'll play it as I talk. Brownville College inbounds the ball. And they had to go the full length of the floor. Pass. Quick pass. Shot from midcourt. It goes in. People are storming the court. The band is playing. This sounds like the final score was 67-64 Rampo over Jersey City University. And this is absolutely crazy. you got to watch this video because guess what? It was on ESPN's top ten Saturday morning. It was number seven. Rampo College was number seven on ESPN's top ten. And that's not just college sports. That's all of sports. That's NHL. That's NBA. And there Rampo College is on this the guy's last name is Bonacum. He hit a game winner from literally the Rampo College Roadrunners logo at center court. And, oh, my God, it was so exciting to watch. The, the Roadrunners, are, they've clinched their sixth automatic NCAA tournament berth under head coach Chuck McGreen, McBreen. Can you imagine if they go and we can watch them on, on national TV as part of the March Madness? <laughs> that would be so cool. So cool. It would be the next Gonzaga. But even if they're not. You know, Thomas Bonacum, he deserves... I was seeing if I could get him on here today, but apparently he doesn't have any social media, which is kind of strange. Um, I looked. I did look. But congrats to uh, Rampo College being on ESPN's Top 10, because that's, that's, that's a cool honor. 
Now I asked, I had, I had asked, uh, my, one of my first interviews I had done uh, over a year ago was Teresa Weatherspoon, and the one question I did ask is, as half-court shots go, she has one of her own, one of very famous of her own, one of the most exciting in New York Liberty history. So I asked her about making half-court shots. Is that something you practice at practice, or no. something you just kind of just absolutely not? <laughs> absolutely not. I, I never did that. Uh, matter of fact, I used to sit and watch uh, after practice is over. Mm -hmm. Becky Hammond would go out and, and she would do it. She would do it in the players. You know, they go out and do it for fun. Yeah. Like, nah, nah, I'm the one who handles and get distributes. But I knew if it ever came down to it, it was possible. You just got to know the technique. I never thought that was going in there. Don't, don't get me wrong. Never thought that was going in. That was just a major thing that occurred for us that gave us an opportunity to move to the next game. Yeah, one of the top 15 plays of all time in WNBA. Consider I'm just thankful for the girls. Yeah. And it went in and gave us an opportunity. Yeah. So I'm wondering, my question to him was going to be that, did, does he practice this? Is this something he practices? And clearly, Weatherspoon said, no, it is something they do not practice. I don't know. It's kind of cool, though. So that, that's that. So listen, guys, we may have a break in the case of Tom Brady's missing jersey. Yeah, really. So Brady posted a flow chart to his Instagram account, and it, which features the scene of the crime. <laughs> Someone just said, I have it on Periscope. Don't admit that. So he, he went on his Instagram, he, he put pictures of the scene of the crime, the photos of the suspects, commentary for each and every one of the suspects. This is breaking news, yes. Remember, this jersey is worth over $500,000. That's half a million dollars. So the, it titled, Suspect Board, My Missing Jersey. And listen at listen to this. He thinks Lady Gaga might be the one to have taken his jersey. Think about it. It was a perfect illusion. The lyrics are trying to keep control, pressure's taking its toll, stuck in the middle zone. He, Tom Brady, pointed to the fact that Lady Gaga had an escape rope. Her rope that she jumped into the stadium from the roof, that was her escape route. So she took the jersey while he was giving an interview and then escaped, propelled herself out through the roof of the stadium, probably wearing the jersey. Obviously this is not real, guys. He did post a picture of this with suspects. It was a joke, though. It was tongue-in-cheek joke. Lady Gaga did not steal his jersey, although it is possible, right? Second suspect he named was Julian Edelman. And the quote he put there was, Julian Edelman loves rings, and he's a sneaky little squirrel. <laughs> End quote. And, and that made me laugh out loud, because he is a sneaky little squirrel. I mean, watching him play the Jets and be a little sneaky squirrel around the Jets' defense, yeah, he is. So it could have been him, too. And then the third major suspect that Tom Brady named was the clown from the movie Air Bud. Do you remember him? The clown that stole Air Bud? Come on, I know, I know you guys have seen that movie. Tom Brady wrote, and he put a picture of him on his board, and he wrote, quote, who steals a dog from a kid? Bad man. Clown who stole Air Bud, end quote. So we have three suspects. We have Lady Gaga, we have Julian Edelman, and we have the clown from Air Bud. 
Tom Brady, I really, really hope you can get your jersey back. I really hope so. And it was just a joke. That was all facetious. He obviously has not found his jersey yet, and uh, it is still worth a lot of money. And I think he's just trying to make a joke out of it, which is he really actually looking for his jersey back, or is like Steiner Sports uh, looking for his jersey back? And remember, you know, it's it's first-degree felony charges. <laughs> and does, does Tom Brady really care? Probably not. I mean, I think Steiner Sports really cares about the jersey. Was it even stolen at all? That's a theory that's been circulated. Does it Was it really stolen? Or is Tom Brady having his own... This is just a ridiculous theory, you know? And we have the Texas Rangers looking for the jersey, and we have the Law & Order Texas Rangers looking for the jersey, because remember, the Super Bowl was in Houston, and remember, stealing this jersey is a first-degree felony charge. So just want you to keep in mind that Texas does still have the death penalty. Sixty-minute overtime hurry-up offense with Danielle McCartan. The Cowboys and Cardinals are going to play in the annual Hall of Fame game in Canton, Ohio this August. It was just announced. You may remember that last year's game between the Packers and Colts was canceled due to the clumping paint on the field, which created hazardous conditions. Nick Mangold, after 11 seasons, is going to be leaving the New York Jets. He has been released by the team and he has started in all 164 games he has played in and been available for the Jets. So he is a, a, definitely a legend for the New York Jets. Uh, the MLB is back. Yesterday, the Yankees fell to the Phillies 6-5 in Clearwater, Florida. Uh, Yankee starter Adam Warren struck out two in two perfect innings. Also, the Nationals defeated the Mets 8-6 in Port St. Lucie yesterday, yet David Wright received a standing ovation during his first plate appearance. Moving over to the ice, NHL, last night the, the Rangers traveled across the river to take on the Devils at the Prudential Center at The Rock. Mika Zibanejad netted the game winner at 116 into the overtime period. This was the 40th win for the New York Rangers, who will, will have hit that mark in four consecutive seasons. The Islanders goaltender Greece gave up three goals in the first period to set the tone for an awful 7-0 shutout blowout loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets last night in Ohio. That's a long flight home. The NBA, last night the Nets in the late night game fell to the Warriors at Oracle Arena in Oakland, California, even with Kevin Durant out with a left hand injury. With that win, the Warriors have clinched a playoff berth. And without Kristaps Porzingis due to a foot injury, the Nets defeated the Philadelphia 76ers 110-109 at the Garden. Carmelo Anthony led all, all scorers with a game-high 37 points. And don't forget, NASCAR fans, today at 1 p.m. Eastern, Lady Antebellum will perform the pre-race show for the Daytona 500, which is racing's Super Bowl. The race will begin at 2 p.m. on Fox. Chase Elliott has locked up pole position, but Vegas has slotted Dale Earnhardt Jr. as the 5-1 favorite to win the race. I'm Danielle McCartan, and that's your 60-minute overtime hurry-up offense. Okay, what the f <laughs> So my favorite segment has 
will become the what the F story of the week. Uh, this is going to get me a little bit heated here. Jameis Winston, he's 23 years old. He is, the, or was, the first-round draft pick in 2015. He's the franchise quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he goes out to a classroom to do a good deed this week. And he tells a classroom full of third to fifth grade kids in Port Saint, or, or no, in, in uh, Saint Petersburg, Florida, that boys are supposed to be strong and girls are supposed to be silent. Here it is. Listen for yourself. Do anything I put my mind to. I can do anything I put my mind to. Okay, I know I got a lot of people like this. All my boys, all my, all my young boys, stand up, man. The ladies, the ladies sit down, sit, sit down. But all, all my boys, stand up, stand up. We strong, right? We strong, we strong, right? Okay, all my boys, just tell me one time, I can do anything I put my mind to. I, I, a lot of boys don't supposed to be soft-spoken. You know what I'm saying? One day y'all gonna have a very deep voice like this, right? Now y'all talking like this, but one day y'all have a very, very deep voice. But the ladies, they go, they're supposed to be silent, polite, gentle. But my men now, my men supposed to be strong, okay? So I want y'all to tell me what the third rule of life is. I can do anything I put my mind to. Scream it. I can do anything I put my mind to. All right. Y'all can sit down now. Y'all can sit down. I had to wake y'all up because I had too many boys. With they, see, you, you're doing it again. You're doing it again. You're sleeping, baby. You're sleeping. Look, your fist, listen, having your fist like this, that's basically you're punching yourself. You're punching yourself. Sit up, sit up straight. I want to see. You see this bright jersey? You can see this from a mile away. All right, that's enough of that. So if you are on Periscope right now, I just showed you the, uh, the video from it. Uh, listen, he's telling the boys to sit down. Oh, okay, so he, he, he later clarified what he meant, basically. And he said, this is a quote now from Jameis Winston, quarterback, franchise quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He said, quote, I was making an effort to interact with a young male in the audience who didn't seem to be paying attention, and I didn't want to single him out, so I asked all the boys to stand up. During my talk, I used poor word choice that may have overshadowed that positive message for some. End quote. And now, when you think universal design, let's talk about universal design for a minute. Let's talk about how, I don't know, you're, you're on a sidewalk, and the sidewalk has a ramp. Um, do you go around the ramp if you are an able-bodied person? No, you most likely use the ramp, right? So the, you, the ramp is designed for handicapped people, but able-bodied people use it as well. So if he's trying to say that he wanted to... Um, not single the young male out, but yet get all the other boys to stand up. Just why couldn't he get all of the, the kids to stand up in the class? I mean, it's not that hard, right? So I think that the clarification is just a band-aid that I'm going to rip off right now because I think that's ridiculous. So he, here's my reaction to this. I think that uh, he, he said that he overshadowed that positive message for some. Well, for some? I think the clarification made it worse, to be honest with you. Now, and let's just talk about it. Sometimes people have Freudian slips. It happens. That could have been overlooked, in my opinion. A Freudian slip, in my opinion, although bad, could have been overlooked. Yet, this was institutionalized. This is his belief. It went on. He was perpetuating stereotypes. He was concerned as a football player, as a male football player, only with the boys in the audience, which makes me mad. But what about the girls in the audience? 
What was their takeaway? Because as you can tell, I am very much into sports as well. I put myself in those girls' shoes. Listen, I did a biography report, and I, I'm thinking it was in, um, in fourth grade. I did a report where I had to dress up as a person that I picked in a biography. So guess who I picked to do mine on in fourth grade? Just the age of these kids sitting here watching him, I picked to do mine on Phil Sims. So now if Phil Sims comes to my school and said that in my classroom, I, as a fourth grader, how old are you when you're in fourth grade, 10, 11? I would have been absolutely devastated. And remember, maybe you don't know this, I know my mom's on Periscope here and my dad, but I tried out for Little League Baseball. Boys, I was the only girl that tried out for Little League Baseball. And now in my town they had Little Major League and Little Minor League. Uh, I turned down, I was turned down from making the Little Major League. I was sent to the minors, I stayed there for three years. Never got a call up. I made the, the all-star team for the minors. And this is not major, this is like kids baseball, guys. So I was better than most, if not all, of the boys in that league that made the major league, major little league in my town. And it's a shame because not one coach was willing to take me on their team. Why? Were they afraid of repercussions? Were they, did they have institutional thoughts like Winston's? And this is not long ago. This is, I'm 28 years old, what are you, maybe 15 years ago. Do they have institutional thoughts like, like Jameis Winston, how he's perpetuating this in front of a class of third to fifth graders? It's wrong. Maybe he should hold a talk for girls only now with the same exact message that he perpetuated to the boys in that, in that classroom. That's the only thing I could think that would make this situation better. Not a stupid, backhanded explanation without a real apology. There was no apology. You look, look at it. There is no apology in that. There's no I'm sorry to the girls in the class. I read it to you. Did you hear one? Because I didn't see one. He, an NFL superstar, spoke to an audience that was completely impressionable. And now what damage control to this, do the, the school staff and the teachers and the administrators have to do now at that school? That, you know, if boys are playing in, in, at recess, which I used to play with the boys, now a boy comes up to a girl who wants to play and says, oh, you can't play with us. James Winston said that you have to sit down and be silent. Can you imagine the school, what the school has to do now to control this damage? Of course he's a young guy. He's 23 years old. But come on, man. Come on. And I think about how, how I didn't make the little major leagues, right? And, and I got sent to the minors for three years and, and watched all of my teammates that were male get called up when they were kids absent from the major league team. And, that, and you know, it, it hurts. It hurts my feelings to see that this guy, who's so prominent in the Tampa Bay region, in, in all of the NFL, is telling girls that they have to be silent. And I'll have you know that I, when I had to switch to softball, because I can't play on a high school baseball team, so when I was in eighth grade, I switched just to get you know a little acclimated to the game. I started ninth grade. I went to tryouts for the freshman team, softball team. It was like 6.30 in the morning. I stayed there, double session, for the varsity base, the varsity softball team, and guess what? As a freshman, I was the starting varsity shortstop. 
as a freshman on a team that had seven seniors and two juniors and zero sophomores. I was the only freshman, and I started at shortstop. So you can't tell me that I wasn't good enough to beat out those boys in, in the Little League. Because I was. Because I was. And I was just ashamed that 15 years later, Jameis Winston, star of the NFL, is perpetuating the same ridiculous stereotype that these guys imposed onto me when I was a young, impressionable fourth grader, shall we say. So Jameis Winston... What the F story of the week? What the F story of the month? What the F story of the year? Shame on you. You are a moron. And then the only thing, like I said, that, that you can do to make this better is to offer a, a girls only, a girls only clinic, a girls only message. So I think that is absolutely ridiculous and it needs to be stopped. Someone needs to stop this guy. Because the, the end all be all solution was very easy. He could have had all the students stand up. If he was worried about one kid not paying attention to him, he could have had all of the students stand up. Yes, this was this past week. Yet he, he decided that he was going to tell the girls that they have to be silent and the boys have to be strong. Come on, man. Come on, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Someone said, wait, you want women and men playing ball together? Well, if the women are good enough, yes, they should be. I always wanted to be the first Yankee woman player. I always, girl, girl baseball player. First Yankee girl baseball player. If they're good enough, they should be on that team. That's all I have to say. That's all I have to say on that. So some important dates to remember. The NFL draft is not until April 27th. So there will be no NFL draft talk on here. So you could go somewhere else for that because I am not willing to jump into that yet. We have over two months for the NFL draft. Um, although the Combine, though, is March 3rd through 6th, so we could talk a little bit about the NFL Combine next week. Important date to remember, I'm going to be heavily invested in this this year, the World Baseball Classic, especially with Team Italy. I'm, for those of you that were watching, I'm trying to show you. This is the Team Italia Squadra Italia official pen. I have the official everything. Um, that's going to start, the World Baseball Classic is going to start up on, on March 6th. And uh, we, we covered a lot, covered a lot of ground today. We had the, the sports update, of course. We've had um, the What the F story of the week, Jameis Winston, shame on you. What else? Uh, the, the break in the case of Tom Brady's missing jersey. Of course, that was very facetious. We talked about the NBA trade deadline. We had to call in from Randy Zelia on that. Uh, the Rampo College buzzer beater played that for you. That was awesome. That made the ESPN's number, top play number seven. Uh, then I talked about my uh, top storylines for the Mets and Yankees entering spring training for the Mets. It's obviously going to be the health of their team, including especially their their starting pitching staff. And uh, Drake started from the bottom. Now we're here. The Baby Bombers are here. That's where it's at for the New York Yankees this year. Without um, you know having guys like A Rod and Mark Teixeira on the team this year, it's it's all about the young, the youth, the young guys. And uh, some upworthy news I talked about in the beginning. I should have followed uh, James Winston up with this upworthy news, but jo Jordan Sparks. Uh, gave a, a giant fan of TV on the plaza uh, for the Today Show this week. And we did kick off today. He's talking with Tom Barton, radio host of Fox Sports, 1340 AM Las Vegas, and owner of TomBartonSports.com. You know, first we, we talked about Rob Manfred saying that Las Vegas could be a viable market for the MLB. And then we went on to talk about other leagues and other franchises and things like that. So if you missed that, I'm going to post all this stuff up as soon as I get home and, and could have, and, uh, and, uh, edit it down, and I'll post it up for you guys in, in the short version. Uh, obviously, today's guests were Tom Barton, 
Uh, Pat Vendite, the switch pitcher from the Seattle Mariners organization and pitcher for Squadra Italia. And just some commentary from my interviews with Teresa Weatherspoon, uh, WNBA legend, gold medal winner, John Flaherty, former MLB catcher and Yes Network analyst, and of course Dylan Batances, the current New York Yankees pitcher and three-time All-Star. Uh, so that's, that's going to be the wrap for this week. You can follow my work uh, so you... Uh, you can't miss anything this week. It's going to be at prosportsrundown.com. On Twitter, follow me. Click the follow button at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. A YouTube search. It's going to be Coach Space McCartan and, and soundcloud.com slash Coach McCartan. On demand, you can find me even on demand. iTunes podcast. Uh, you go to the Apple store and you do um, Coach Space M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Tune in radio. Uh, type in 60-minute overtime. And uh, for Android users, go in the Google Store shop, whatever it's called. Type in Coach McCartan with no spaces. And uh, I want to thank you to everybody on, on Periscope right now, streaming live on Periscope, which is connected to my Twitter feed, at uh, Coach McCartan. And uh, on Facebook, facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Uh, so next week we'll talk a little bit about, I think, um, the NFL Combine. I want to talk about uh, pitchers in the Home Run Derby, write a post. Uh, I'm going to write a post about that. I've asked a lot of pitchers what they think in uh, World Baseball Classic. Obviously, I'm going to have an interview with a, a softball pitcher, uh, Monica Abbott. So you guys need to follow that. That's going to be pre-taped. They're going to talk to her on Monday, I think. Uh, and I really want to get into, are the Rangers a deep playoff threat? Uh, dare I say it, are their Stanley Cup chances alive? And uh, I'll, I'll have snippets from my interviews. Bef uh, with Henrik Lundqvist for, for that. So we'll see. We'll see if we can cover all that this week uh, for next week, for your show for next week. So, uh, you know, thanks for, for uh, hanging with me. <laughs> so uh, remember, uh, those of you guys are just still show me a lot of love on Periscope, don't forget, just we can interact on Twitter. We'll take this to Twitter now. So, um, you know, thanks. Thanks for that. Someone's saying... Uh, I won't mind getting hit with with a pitch. Come on, man. That's what you're worried about? Have you seen the armor that these guys wear when they're up at, at bat at the plate? The armor? Yeah, I can do that, too. Yeah, I can do that, too. <laughs> Does anyone really want to get hit? <laughs> All right, guys. So with that, let, let's close it out. And thanks for checking me out. I'll be back this time, 11 a.m. next Sunday. Hope to see you guys again. And, uh, and thank you. And uh, thanks, thanks for the love. Follow me on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M C C A R T A N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, search with no spaces Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1:30 to 2:30 p.m.